Um, Luke is an interesting gospel. Luke gives us many things that the other synoptic gospels don't give us. And um, there's um, a passage about lepers that confronted Jesus here in Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. And I've entitled the message, A Leper Cleansed and Saved. Leprosy is a unique emblem that's in the scriptures. It's typical of sin, symbolic. And if you examine and look up what leprosy is, it's called Henson's disease, and it's really not even curable today. Though it is arrested at times, and people can learn to live with it. But it's, um, it's a disease that it's not really known how it's contacted and its origins, but it, it, it affects the body from the extremities inward, and it, and it touches the nerves. So that it's not a matter of that fingers fall off or toes fall off. It's a matter that a, a leopard loses the ability to sense things. So they have to wear gloves or, or padded shoes because if they're standing on a hot grill, they can't feel it. And, of course, it would just bake their feet. And it's really an incredible picture of sin because, you know, sin is presented so attractive by the world, by the media, um, even by ourselves sometimes. Especially in today's society, a lot of you young people are being confronted with all this bombardment of, of um, just being successful and living for yourself and thinking of the potential in you and, you know, have no regrets, just do what you want. Live it up while you're young and all that. It's a philosophy that sounds good. But when you start embracing that philosophy and you start walking that, that road of, of, of Sin Avenue and, and Consequences Boulevard. It, it starts turning bad. Um, what you can handle mentally what you can very neatly put in a package and write it down on paper and analyze and say, well, I would do this and that, and if that happens, okay, you know, God's grace, this and that. That's intellectual. That's all up here. But once you begin crossing those lines, whatever it may be, you fill in the blank. Then all of a sudden, once you cross that line, now there's the spiritual violation there's the emotional entrapment, and there's guilt, there's shame, there's regret, there's despair. Now, these are the real issues that the media doesn't point out, the real issues that the movies don't point out, or whatever it is that's bombarding you. And yet God is so honest because he says, the wages of sin is death in the book of Romans 3.23. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat, you shall surely die. God right up front told them exactly the severity of sin, the deadliness of sin. He didn't paint a picture of being, you know, well, you know, it's fun. He, he gave them a, a great place, the Garden of Eden. They were perfect in terms of what we call the innocent state. They hadn't sinned yet. But when they crossed that line, immediately they knew they were naked. And they wanted to hide themselves. 
And some of you, whether you're young or old, you understand that innocent state where everything's fun and everything is happy and everything is good. But then you're like a blank sheet. And all of a sudden you do something and you got one mark. And you got another mark and another mark. And you just, before you know it, your life is there. And the more dots, the more lines you have, the more guilt, the more shame. And you get to a place sometimes where you go into despair. And that's why so many people take their lives and do dumb things today. On the other extreme, sometimes people mark up their lives so much, they get to the place where they can't sense anything. It doesn't matter. They even go deeper into sin. It's kind of like scars. If you have scar, have scars from the world and that. And uh, when you have a scar, a deep scar, when it, though it heals, when you run your finger over that scar, if it's wide enough and it's been deep enough, you, you don't have the sense of touch anymore. You can't feel it. And that's the same thing with the conscience that God's given us. He's given us a conscience to be able to sense pain, spiritual, disobedient pain. But the more we callous it, the more we sin against it, it gets to the place where it becomes seared. When you take a hot iron and you, you, you when they branded cows, it puts a letter there, W. Looks nice and it says it's your property. But where that W has been burnt in, the cow can't sense nothing. It's been scarred. The nerves have been damaged. And that's exactly what sin does to us. But see, it deceives us. If we haven't gone that way, it presents itself very attractive, whether it be through the world, through Satan, or our own ideas in our flesh. But once you partake and you cross that line from the intellectual of thinking you have control to the point where it has you and all the baggage comes with it. And the only way that man can get rid of that is by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You can't rationalize your sin away. You can't explain it away. You can't even justify your sin. You have to confront your sin. You can say, well, you know, there's no such thing as sin. We just make mistakes. Okay, that's fine. You want to use those words. But you still are dealing with the consequence of your mistake. And you carry that. And Jesus understanding all this came... To be able to forgive us, to cleanse us from the sin, the shame, the guilt. That we might be new creatures in Christ Jesus. These lepers here, he's coming down from the north of Galilee. He's come to the borders of Samaria and Galilee. The Samaritans, you know, were half-breeds. Half Jewish, half Gentile. The Jews hated them, they hated the Jews. And I don't think it's any coincidence here in, in uh, 17, verse 11. It says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So he's on the border. And then as he entered a certain village, 
there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off because the law said they had to stand about 100, 150 feet, depending where the wind's blowing. Cover their upper lip. Leviticus 13 and 14 gives you all the specifics, even the provisions for cleansing. And they were to yell, unclean, unclean. These men as lepers were ostracized. They could not have contact with their family, society. They lived in the dump most of the time or in villages outside the city. And that's what sin does. It begins to remove you from your family. It begins to remove you from the people who really love you. Pretty soon you live all on your own. You may know all kinds of people, but you really have no friends. Your own sin isolates you. And that's the reality that is not presented when sin is dealt with. These guys are all on their own. They live by themselves. They live off the dump. And notice in 13, they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Lepers were considered dead. Remember when Moses, Miriam, and Aaron were angry that Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And Miriam was the instigator. And God struck her with leprosy. And Moses says, oh Lord, she says, one who is dead. Sin does kill. Slowly. But it kills. Like a drop of cyanide. Every time sin. Another drop. At first you don't feel that bad. But you keep putting a drop consistently every time. It keeps adding up. And you don't know, but you're literally dying, but you don't know it. You're dying, 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 and one day you really die. Because that's where sin takes us. These guys know that they're dead. No one wants anything to do with them. They cry out for the mercy, pity of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure they've heard the rumors. And by rumors, I don't mean fictitious stories, but the uh, reports of Jesus healing other lepers. He's already healed some in the previous chapters. And they have nothing to lose. All they can do is turn them down. And so they call upon him here in verse 13, have mercy on us. And then, beginning verse 14 to 16, we have the ten lepers that are cleansed. So first we have the ten lepers calling out to Jesus. Now they're cleansed. And 14 says, so when he saw them, this is Jesus, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were healed. Now the Levitical law, Leviticus 13 and 14, all the prescriptions are there for the cleansing of the leper. And, and notice that the, the leprosy was incurable. God gave a provision for the cleansing, not the healing, the cleansing of a leopard in the day of his healing. It would have to be a miraculous healing by God. No other way. So God makes a provision for them in the Old Testament. And notice that he didn't heal them right away. He didn't touch them. Now he did before. Touch them. Be clean. Lord, 
You can make me clean if you will. I will. Boom. You're clean. Now he just tells them to go to the priest because the law said present yourself to the priest and they would look at the man and look at him and they'd lock him up for about six, seven days and look and see if the leprosy's gone. If they weren't questionable, then they put him back for another seven days, but then they finally declare him clean or unclean. One of the two. So as they're going, they're, they're, they're walking together, the ten of them, and all of a sudden they're looking at each other and, man, they're, they're cleansed. All ten of them. Now, Jesus never cleansed the same way. He never healed the same way. Sometimes he touched somebody. Somebody just told him to be healed in different ways. So there's no pattern. People always want a little pattern so they can do the same in their church. And they can promise people they're going to be healed. If you do this, you... God doesn't... God is sovereign. He does as he wills. We pray for one another, lay hands on one another in faith. But there's nothing powerful about the hands or the oil or anything else. God is sovereign. He does as he wills. And so here they're going and they get cleansed. And in verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. One out of ten. And he fell down on his face, at his feet, meaning the feet of Jesus, giving them thanks. And listen, he was a Samaritan. That means the other nine were Jews. The Gospel of Luke continually keeps pointing out that the Jews always rejected Jesus. It was the Gentiles, the Samaritans that were open to Jesus. He was sent to his own, his own received them not. Jesus said, there comes one in his own name, him you will receive, talking about the Antichrist. They rejected Jesus Christ, their Messiah. They will embrace the Antichrist that will deceive them. And so here, one leper... A Samaritan. You remember the good Samaritan earlier in the Gospel of Luke? Yet the priest saw the guy that was beat up. He just went to the other side. The Levite, same thing. But the good Samaritan came and bound him up and bound his wounds and, and put some, uh, some wine on his, and oil on his wounds and took him to the inn and said, look, take care of him. And if you spend more money, when I come back, I'll give you the rest. And Jesus says, which one was neighbor to him? Gritting their teeth. Oh, the Samaritan. (laughs) So you can be religious. You can call yourself spiritual. But if you're not born again, you're dead. You're like this leopard. You can have all the money in the world. All the success, whatever it is. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're dead. In fact, Paul says regarding a woman who lives in pleasure while she lives, she's dead while she lives. And that goes for men too. When people in the world, when I was in the world, man, you party all weekend long, three, four days, whatever, man, you come home all messed up and you say, oh, that was living. No, that was dying. When I was in the world, I was committed to dying, but I called it living. You're young, your body puts up with it. But it will get you in the end. You can buy a brand new car and beat the heck out of it. In 20,000 miles, it's going to start knocking. Or you can buy it, take care of it, and run 200,000 miles and be okay. It all depends on how you treat it, right? It's the same thing with our lives. And so here again, 
Out of those ten, this one comes and he glorifies God and he falls on his face to the ground. He humbles himself and he gives thanks. And he was a Samaritan. The majority of people will reject Jesus Christ. The majority is always wrong. The minority is always right. Learn that simple principle. That's in the world and in the church. Always. The entire world was judged by God. Only eight people were saved in the ark. Three, three and a half million came out of the exodus. Only two entered in over the age of 20. Caleb and Joshua. Lord, are there many to be saved? Strive to enter in few. And so people may say they're Christians, but it's how they live that demonstrates that they're Christians or not. We see this man, he's been cleansed here. He, first of all, gives glory to God. Second, he shows his humility and he falls down and he thanks Jesus Christ. A Samaritan, one that the Jews believed was not worthy to be looked at, considered, let alone to think that he could enter the kingdom of God. When you come to verse 17 down to 19, you have the one leper that was saved. At this point, he's not saved. He's just cleansed. Notice 17. So Jesus answered and said, Were there none? Ten cleansed. But where are the nine? Now they were Jews. They knew the law. They were supposed to be worshipers of Yahweh. They knew what they should have done. But they took their cleansing, presented themselves to the priests, and they went their way. Didn't consider Jesus. And they knew exactly who it was that cleansed them. In 18 he says, Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan? No coincidence. And here's the punchline 19. And he said to them, Arise, or to him, Go your way, your faith has made you saved. That's the word. Now he imparts salvation to him because he sees his faith in Jesus Christ. Ten dead men. Nine are cleansed and they're going to live in society, go back to partying, do whatever they want, and they're going to die one day and be eternally lost. This one leopard, a Samaritan, he's cleansed, but he's saved. And he's going to be able to live to the glory of God and enjoy life. Who do you think made the right decision? See, if God heals you of a disease, you're going to die down the road from something else. But if you're saved... 
then the minute you die, you're instantly present with the Lord. Now, it's not something that we just say and it's kind of nice and it's to just manipulate you or to kind of move your emotion. No, no, no. It's, it's what God says. If you don't repent, you die eternally. Physical death is merely just the finish of this life, but eternally it's a separation from God. That's the best way to define death, separation from God. The minute a non-believer, one who does not believe, whatever category he's in, regardless of what level of sin or lifestyle it is, the minute they die, they give their last breath instantly. They know they're separated from God for eternity, and there isn't a thing they can do about it. You ever do something that you wish you hadn't done and you could take another chance? But you can't, right? For all eternity, those individuals know that they had a chance to go to heaven and live with God. And they rejected it. They can't blame God. They can't blame their friends. They can't blame the situation. They have to full, take full responsibility. And when God judges that person, He's absolutely just. That person is responsible for their destiny in eternity. God making the provisions, having rejected the provision, there's only one person responsible for that. You and I. Individually. One out of ten. Cleansed and saved. The others just cleansed. What a difference it made for this one. I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know what you're into. I don't know how you live. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're dead. Now you walk into the morgue. And you see 20 stiffs right there. Who walks in and asks the coroner? How long has this one been dead? How about this one? What did this one die of? Doesn't matter. How long they've been dead? What they died of? All of them are dead. There's no life at all. And it's the same with people. Forget the sin. Forget what you've been into, what you've committed. One, a thousand. You're dead. And the only way to become alive is to repent of your sins, believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. And that you're saved by grace through faith because of what He did for you. And that he loved you so much that he did give his life for you while you were ungodly. That you might repent, call upon his name as his leper. And that he might cleanse you from your sin. He can't heal you from your sin. He cleanses you like the leper from your sin. And he makes you whiter than snow. Because every snowflake has a dirty heart. It's wrapped around a speck of dust. Whiter than snow. Buries your sin in the deepest ocean. Puts a sign there, no fishing. Cast as far east from the west. 
Thank God he didn't say north and south. He puts them behind his back, between the shoulder blades. When you go home, put a piece of tape, have somebody put it there, and then try to see if you can see it. You can't. And he never mentions your sin again. Wow. That's what God offers you tonight. By his grace. Through the simple preaching of the gospel. Not psychology, not sociology, not anthropology, but the good news of Jesus Christ. That God became man, became sin for you, died in your place, had the wrath of the Father poured on him that should should have been poured on you and me. And then he paid the price through death and was raised from the dead as a receipt that the Father accepted the payment in our place. Wow. No one can earn it. No one can deserve it. All you can do is receive it by grace through faith. I pray that you see yourself in need of salvation if you don't know Jesus Christ and that you would turn to him right now in repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your love. Your goodness, Lord, and we pray that you just deal with our hearts. And I left every person here, Lord. Lord, you know where we're at, and we pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, you will speak to their hearts, and Lord, you will allow them to understand your love for them and your grace to forgive them and to make them know. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Don't let Satan deceive you. Don't deceive yourself. If you're not born again, if you've never repented and you die, you will go to hell. I don't say that with any joy. I tell you the truth of what's going to happen. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven if you call on the name of the Lord to forgive you and to transform your heart. But you alone can make that decision and take that action. No one can do it for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you see yourself as that sinner, in need of a Savior, then you can call upon Him and He will give you everlasting life as you repent from your sins. Right where you sit, if you want to accept Christ Jesus, this is your prayer to Him. Whether you do an altar call or do it there, it doesn't make any difference. You can do an altar call and not mean it and you walk out dead. If you're not playing games, you just sit right there and you ask the Lord to forgive you right now. And He's going to cleanse you. He's going to make you new. Before you leave, we want to give you a Bible absolutely free. But this is your prayer of repentance. Asking Jesus to save you and forgive you of your sin. So right where you sit, you can repeat this prayer right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. For all my sins. 
Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you. In Jesus' name.